Crowdsourcing is a relatively common term in the technical vernacular today. Even if you're not a techie, you may very well have leveraged crowdsourcing to find a new logo design for your company or to raise money for a small project on a site like Kickstarter. One area where crowdfunding is not really taken off is in the domain of hedge funds. We speak with Richard Craig this week on the Tech Emergence podcast. He's founder of Numeri. He was at Cornell University uh, studying computer science and artificial intelligence before moving over to the West Coast, where I am now here in the Bay Area. We speak about how to pool data science talent, how they're doing it at Numeri right now, to pool the best data science talent to train models on financial data and have them compete against one another, uh, where the winners earn money in Bitcoin and can anonymously submit their models to train on this financial data for this now sort of virtual hedge fund. Richard and I also talk about sort of the past, present, and future of artificial intelligence's applications in finance in general. Hopefully, if you're into finance or just the future applications of AI, you'll enjoy this episode. Without further ado, Richard with Numeri. So, Richard, I wanted to ask you first, I know uh, with Numeri, some folks are, are familiar with Kaggle and sort of data science competitions. Um, you folks are doing it a little bit differently. You're allowing teams or individuals from around the world to submit algorithms and predictions. Uh, they're submitting predictions based on their algorithms that are helping to yield a financial return in the markets. What sorts of predictions are they sending to you? And, and, and what are the types of models that these people are building? You were in this world before you started Numeri. Give us a bit of a rundown for the layman. Yeah, well, it's uh, what we say about the data is that it's global equities data. Um, but we don't say what they're actually trying to model about global equities or what features we are actually giving them. And that's because uh, if we did that, you know, we'd be kind of giving away our, our edge and things, yes, and things would yes. kind of break down. Yep. So what, we, what we've done is actually framed a data science problem out of a whole bunch of raw financial data, which took me about two years to actually do uh, at my old uh, job. And now we've given that data set away for free, but in an encrypted form. Yep. And so the just out of, out of uh, again, for clarity's sake, the types of predictions that these folks are sending you, if they're unaware of precisely what they're predicting, you know, let's say the price of corn by the, you know, whatever they measure corn in in, in uh, Norway, um, you know, the, the price of corn per kilo in Norway, uh, if they don't know that, uh, then what, what sorts of predictions would they be sending to you in, in real time? When you talk about global equities, how do they know what to send in in order to sort of test the validity uh, and, and glean the rewards of, of their algorithms? Well, you download a CSV of training data, which is basically just like millions and millions of, of numbers between zero and one. Yep. And then you have no idea what the features are. And then there's a target variable, which is zero or one. So it's just a pure data science problem. You're trying to find patterns in that data. And so you could use any algorithm that you wanted to do that. So, and then in terms of uploading your predictions, all you're doing is uploading a set of probabilities, like 20,000 probabilities of what you think, uh, what your model thinks the future will be. But you have no idea what those probabilities are. So it seems very strange for most people because most people think of a problem, you need a lot of domain expertise. And so if you want to solve a finance problem, you need a lot of knowledge in finance. Yeah. But you can really separate these things and say, okay, well, there's this finance piece that we're going to do. We're going to frame this problem so it actually makes sense and actually produces institutional grade strategies. And then we're going to give that data away to people who know more about modeling than us. 
And when you have, just like in Kaggle, you know, you typically find solutions that are way better than, than uh, you originally thought. And so our users have made models that are way better than our internal models. Curious. Well, yeah, not surprising when you, when you talk about how many people are submitting them and the fact that you get to put them head to head. The, the kinds of models that these folks are building, again, this is the world that you were in, if I'm not mistaken, you were sort of working elsewhere in the hedge fund world before getting uh, your, your own one off the ground. What does it look like to build a predictive model for, for um, you know, equities or, or other financial markets? You know, what are the approaches being leveraged here? What are the basic strategies at play? Kind of the nuts and bolts that these people are messing around with in, or, in order to come up with the, the predictions that they're giving you. Um, wh- what are these models actually composed of? From the AI standpoint? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. From the AI standpoint, just in layman's well, terms. Yeah, I mean, you can set up any problem. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different kinds of financial prediction problems. Um, a lot of people are doing high-frequency trading, which is completely different to what we're doing. Um, we're trying to find intelligence to actually buy stocks over longer, much longer periods than those guys. Yep. And then in terms of what algorithms you can use, people are using anything. So some of our, some of our users are using simple, like, logistic regression or random forest and things like that. Um, other users have told us, you know, we can't actually see what the users are doing. So some, some yep. of them are doing things we have no idea. Um, but some of them are using TensorFlow, uh, using deep learning, um, using unsupervised learning. Basically, everyone's, everyone's trying everything. And we have some incredible users. We have the winner of the Netflix prize is a user. We have uh, people from DeepMind who are users. So we have, a, we have hardly the most talent out of any, any hedge fund in the world because most hedge funds have about 200 employees and we have uh, 4,000 data scientists on Numeroi. Yeah, that's wild. And, and, and obviously, again, this is something that hypothetically they could chip away on on the weekends so long as they can get their, their models up to snuff to be able to, to earn themselves some bucks given the cut that you guys can, can get them. So it's, it's sort of, um, you know, they don't need to move to you know, your headquarters and kind of sit in an office, this, you know, it, it has a little bit more scale than that and also flexibility in terms of time. I, I'm interested, Richard, in sort of, you know, you mentioned some of the bigger names that are there. I bet you there's a lot of folks that basically no one's heard of. No one's heard of the company they work for. No one's heard of the college they went to. Um, there's probably a bunch of, you know, sort of relative unknowns uh, who are out there still being able to produce models that are gleaning some semblance of of results. Um, you know, there, there is talk of the shortage of data scientists, at least in full-time positions, um, just because the demand in that domain versus the supply in that domain, no matter how many of these uh, kids in middle school today, we, we sort of jam through college to turn them into data scientists. You know, it's, it, it seems, at least by predictions of, of kind of the, the bigger guys like uh, IDC and Gartner and whatnot, that we're, uh, you know, we're going to be at a bit of a shortage there for data science uh, talent. Who is the talent that's working with you folks? Are these is, is there some self-educated folks? Are these mostly guys from the schmancy pants Ivy League schools of the world? You know, who composes these people on Numeri, the, the, the 4,000 people you mentioned? Yeah. Well, for once, once again, there's sort of like not much information uh, even possible to give about this um, because our users are anonymous. And so they sign up with, sometimes uh, they, don't, they don't tell us who they are. Sometimes they sign up with anonymous email addresses. And this is because we want we want to allow for that, and we also pay them in Bitcoin, so that's that's kind of anonymous. And so, one is, you know, we can actually have users who work at other hedge funds be uh, 
Uh, oh so, man, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Oh, Richard, the chess, this is just brilliant. So, um, okay. So, so for that reason, not much to say about who these folks are. It sounds like you're aware of some of them, like your Netflix guy, maybe he gave you a phone call or something. Yeah, we have, uh, when we, and we do, but for sure, I think you might, I think you might be right. We have some people who, uh, dropped out of high school and they live in Europe, uh, who've told us that, uh, we have other in, in uh, Russia some in uh, India, some really good ones in India and in college graduate students. And so it's a, it's a whole, it's a mixed bag. And, and I might actually say that I think data science skills are not actually that uncommon you, because it's sort of amazingly teachable uh, over the internet. So if you have any inkling, you can quickly learn on Kaggle. You could quickly do something. Also take a Coursera class. You could also read um, free textbooks there's so many ways to, to actually learn data science on the internet and it makes sense to learn it on the internet. I think there's certain things that don't make sense to learn on the internet. And, uh, and so, you know, we think there's, there are like kind of millions of these guys and they're all coming up right now. That's, that's very interesting. And I was suspecting something similar. I mean, the, the predictions mentioned, you know, again, the IDC and, and Gartner and whatnot, I, I think are, again, full-time folks uh, with, with, you know, academic backgrounds in this space. I think if the deficit is large enough uh, for for this talent, in other words, the demand is strong enough for this talent. Demand could be a full time job. Demand could be a company called Numeri that'll pay you in Bitcoin if you can make money on the internet. If the demand is strong enough, I think that there will be more and more reason to turn to the web for that education. It sounds like you're seeing a good deal of that in terms of the people who are working with you, just graduate students or people who dropped out of of school that just dove headfirst into this stuff and they've been able to pick up these skills uh, from scratch and it sounds like still do pretty well. Yeah, and the other piece is the code is typically open source. So something like TensorFlow is a big deal and even even the things that OpenAI are doing, all really, really kind of making it easy for everyone to be able to, to do this. To hop on board. Um, so, and, and I... I I'm, I would suspect that if we are to see such difficulty in putting that many people formally through academic training in that space, that, that the, um, the online learning would pick up tremendously. Of course, you know, on Coursera, we all know what the number one course is on Coursera. Uh, if you don't, you can go ahead and Google it. But uh, data science is pretty popular already when it comes to online education. Maybe we will see more of that. It sounds like you see a good deal of it already. Richard, my, my last question for you is about uh, the future of the financial markets and the uses and applications of machine learning, algorithmic trading and, uh, you know, machines making millions of transactions on Wall Street um, is sort of old news. But a lot of the approaches to AI and the proliferation of these skills are quite new. Some of the, the abilities of machines, uh, particularly much smaller machines than in the past, are, uh, you know, it's, again, we're in a different landscape than we were five years ago, never mind 10. You know, there's, there's machines making trades every day today. How does that change in the future? How do you see the financial market shifting, whether it be, you know, what's in somebody's retirement account or whether it be how an individual investor, you know, monitors their own funds? How might machine learning pay a, play a bigger role in the grand kind of sweep of, of finance at large? It's definitely playing a bigger and bigger role. Um, many human fund managers are struggling to, to kind of beat the market. And uh, so are many fund managers. But I think in the future, what's what we are hoping, one of the ways we see the world is that there's all these data scientists, which we just talked about, and then there's all this financial data, but nearly all the financial data is secret and expensive and uh, prohibitive. 
uh, the expensive. And so none of these none of these data scientists actually can access it. So there's all this talent uh, that could be used, but it isn't used. Um, mm -hmm. And so and there's there's no reason why that data is going to ever become free, right? Why would those data providers ever give it away? And so we are going to make that possible. And, and because we're going to buy up all the financial data in the world and take away anything meaningful in that data um, and, and then regularize it, encrypt it, and basically turn it into like an abstract problem that the data scientists can access. So sort of like sidestepping all these barriers from data science to data. And then um, that's, that's definitely going to make a really good hedge fund. Yeah, so taking taking away the uh, of course these are the meta trends that you're you're dialed into yourself. Taking away these limitations of where you are in space, you know, and and, and on Earth, uh, how much money you have to invest on what particular data sets, and being able to pool that talent, you know, at at their own leisure, hypothetically, from wherever, um, with information that you can keep proprietary in your own way. Uh, that would be sort of the bridge of that gap to make it, you know, instead of Instead of hedge funds trying to solve this problem by moving 2,000 people instead of 200 people into the same building, uh, you know, in, in New York, maybe there's, you know, a better way with kind of the way that you guys are bridging the gap. Outside of even what Numeri uh, is up to today, in terms of sort of the financial markets at large, machines making trades every single day, is that different than it was five or 10 years ago in terms of what machine learning is capable of, in terms of applications, maybe even of deep learning? And might that, or how might you see that that might change in the coming five? I don't know if that domain is as yeah. hip and fantastic as you know the, some of the whiz bang startups here in the valley, uh, or or if they are just as as up to snuff as those folks. Maybe they're a little stodgier. I don't know. You give me your ideas. Well, yeah, you could kind of never know because they wouldn't tell you, and so that's the thing with with finance. So I think it's the whole high frequency trading thing. It's way less intelligent uh, than they make it out to be. It's all about um, speed and things like that. They all have a PhD in math and finance and, and AI and try, and try to get all the names, but, but most of them actually won't be doing things that are very difficult. It's not going to be the kind of stuff that's happening in deep mind. Um, it's going to be very verbal stuff. Oh. And so, but I think as your prediction time horizon gets further out, it starts to be much more about intelligence in the way that you think about it, not in the way that, oh, well, I'm long apple. On this exchange, I'm going to short it on this exchange, you know, one nanosecond and later, and then clear the position. It, it, it's really, um, it's going to have to do with that, what we're doing in the future. I think yeah. People, yeah. this will happen more and more. And, uh, and I think people trying to make sort of like a human investor rather than just something that's really fast and dumb. Yep. Um, try to, that's, that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to look into. I think a lot of machines today would be referred to as fast and dumb. And uh, interesting to, to, to think that, you know, even some of these schmancy pantsy places on Wall Street are, are primarily level, leveraging fast and dumb technology, at least to the best of, of your knowledge. So uh, in your opinion, maybe either those guys are going to die off like dinosaurs or they're also going to have to be adopting and adapting to more kind of legitimate uh, machine learning and less, less sort of rule-based, fast, quick-hit kind of, you know, expert system type uh, scenarios, yeah. if I'm hearing you correctly. Well, I think people in, uh, people who work at tech companies in the Valley don't want to work on Wall Street. I think that's the other huge issue. Why do you say that, perchance? Like, is it, is it, uh, they're just, uh, they don't like wearing ties, they don't like the snow? 
they don't really believe in the value of it. And they also don't believe that the problems are actually that difficult. And and also, they probably graduated around the time of the financial crisis. So there's psychology. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, most of them would way prefer to, to go to Google and Facebook and things like that. And so I think their organization, organizational design of hedge funds uh, needs, to, needs to change because those people, the talent needs to find a way to get in, basically. And it is, I believe, it's very important for the markets and things like that. I mean, you can you can give very very precise, clear arguments about this, but the problem is you don't want everyone all the time uh, going to work on Wall Street and uh, do kind of like '80s style Wall Street. That we don't want, but you do want the market to be more intelligent, and more efficient. And and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we're moving in that direction. It sounds like maybe some of these Wall Street guys should get themselves uh, water slides and cereal bars and, and be a little bit more like like Google or something like that. Um, but also the, the points that you had mentioned as well. Again, maybe not a domain they want to associate themselves with, and, and somebody's got to attract this talent, and that's obviously the nut that you're trying to crack, and I'm wishing you the best of luck. Richard, thank you for joining us here with us on the uh, Tech Emergence podcast today. Thanks for having me, Dan. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.